Hello there. You are listening to On Educating Girls, Creating a World of Possibilities, a podcast produced by the National Coalition of Girls Schools. And I'm Trudy Hall, your host for these important conversations about girls. Today, we travel to England for a conversation about girls as entrepreneurs and innovators. Girls schools around the world are launching programs designed to foster entrepreneurial skill sets. And we want to know what this programming is all about and why it's good for girls. You may be thinking, what are entrepreneurial skills? You might also be thinking, is it really the job of schools to teach such skills? I think we can all agree that the world in which our girls will one day lead will require flexibility, the ability to ask the right questions, creative problem solving, strategic risk-taking, networking, persistence in the face of steep odds, and on and on and on. Just listen to Nasai Audrey Chiesa, a bio designer from Zimbabwe, explaining her thought process to get a flavor of the complexity in the world of work today. Design deeply permeates all of our lives, and yet we tend to recognize things and not the complex systems that actually produce them. My team and I explore these systems, connecting fields like culture and technology, ecology and economics. We identify problems and where value and values can be created. We like to think of our design brief as an instruction manual, mapping the context of the problem and where we might find solutions. Getting there might involve establishing new networks, building new tools and even infrastructure. I hope you noted that Natsai blends disciplines, pedagogies and communication techniques into a cohesive whole that produces useful solutions to complicated challenges. She is already leading in the world in which our girls need to succeed. Entrepreneurial skills are not just for those who want to start a business. They are the skills that intersect with real life, creating a mindset of possibility in a world of opportunity. The girls' voices you will hear during this episode are speaking about their experiences learning entrepreneurial skills. As I hear them, I am jealous of the possibilities available to them, yet mindful that educational fads have come and gone like the changing seasons over centuries. Having an entrepreneur in residence to help us in year 12 with our external competition of young enterprise really meant that we carried these skills with us into year 13. We run an enterprise club to pass down our skills we learned from the entrepreneur in residence via seven to nine and help them to build their own businesses. Yeah, I agree. I also think that it really helped throughout Young Enterprise as we got consistent feedback throughout our progress, which helped in the development of our product. Taking part in entrepreneurship activities in school has definitely made me gained confidence because when I, at the beginning, I was a very shy person. I didn't do very many extracurriculars and I was always the person back of the class. But now that I have had a chance in school to expand my business, I am now a much more confident person. So I personally think that learning the entrepreneurial mindset fits in with everything else in school, specifically in our lessons and extracurriculars. For example, group projects are made easier in lessons due to our previous experience with teamwork, which is the same for team sports, such as netball or lacrosse. Yeah, I think definitely overall it helps us to spot new opportunities in different sectors of school. And I think we both agree that the skills you learn through entrepreneurship really benefits you throughout your whole school life. So, where is the intersection of the tried and true in an academic curriculum and these new skills? How can entrepreneurial skills best be taught to girls? These are the questions I'm eager to explore with my guest, Dr. Kevin Stannard. 
Dr. Stannard is the Director of Innovation and Learning at the Girls' Day School Trust in London, England, a nonprofit founded in 1872 by four pioneering women who believe that girls should have the same academic quality of education as their brothers. Today, there are 25 schools in the Girls' Day School Trust, and the focus remains on academic excellence and accessibility. They care deeply about both what girls learn and how they learn it. Kevin joined the GDST from University of Cambridge International Examinations, where he was Director of Education. He was responsible for initiatives and international education reform projects, including the introduction of the Cambridge Pre-U in both state and independent schools, the promotion of bilingual education in Spain and the Netherlands, and the development of a new curriculum for model schools in Egypt. He's also been an advisor on curriculum reform to the Singapore Ministry of Education. As an educator with a deep understanding of curriculum and curriculum development, he brings both experience and wisdom to today's topic. Kevin, I think we've picked the perfect person uh, for our interview today, and I'm excited to have our listeners hear your wisdom. Thanks for joining us. Well, I'm very glad to be here, Trudy. Thank you. I know that you are very well versed in curriculum trends. And so for starters, could you explain what educators are calling entrepreneurial skills? And why is it that educators are designing programs to foster such skills? I guess we can start by suggesting that an entrepreneur is someone who can turn ideas into action. So we're looking at the skills and the dispositions that would enable someone to be able to do that. I think the OECD makes a, a useful distinction between the sort of technical and business skills that you'd need to set up a business um, and they're quite discreet from, I guess, the, the, the really interesting personal entrepreneurial skills that are involved in delivering that sort of um, outcome. Skills like creativity, innovation, risk taking, perseverance, leadership, problem solving, strategic thinking. Now, as I make that list, I'm conscious of the danger that we are just bullet pointing a series of um, discrete skills and dispositions. And really, the, the, the thing I think that's bringing this area of educational activity alive is the idea that this is a mindset, that you put those together and it constitutes um, an entrepreneurial mindset. Um, why that? Why is that important? Well, I think for two reasons, really. One is that these are transferable skills that are going to prepare young people today really well for a really uncertain future, a future in which to be real world ready, they're going to have to accept a greater degree of uncertainty, a greater degree of agility in moving from different careers through the, through the, the time that they're in the workforce. Being able to be agile, willing to change, to look for and exploit opportunities is really a major part of this. The other thing is that creating a business needs commitment, it needs resilience, it needs passion. And a student who can do that on top of an overfull educational program while they're at school is able to juggle those priorities is really showing incredible potential. Thanks for that framing. I thought that was really useful uh, for our listeners. And so following on from that, why, given your role in educating girls, is it so critical for girls in particular to have those skills? Yeah, I mean, I'd agree entirely with the premise of that question. I think it's 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 more important for girls to have access to these sorts of programs because, well, it's not a level playing field. 
Um, if I could just give you one sort of vignette of that. New York University back in 2006 did a, um, a study where they introduced groups of students to the biographies, the stories of two tech entrepreneurs, one female, one male, Heidi and Howard. And everything about them was the same. The students, interestingly, rated them both equally competent. Well, they would because the backgrounds were identical. But they liked Heidi less and they didn't want to work with her. And that underscores, I think, a crucial problem that women in the workplace find. And that is that it is, for, for various reasons, it seems to be more difficult for females to achieve high scores on both competence and likability. This sort of competence likability dilemma is very gendered. And so I think the first point that I make about the importance for girls is that there is a need to bracket entrepreneurial skills with leadership education, at least to prepare young women for a world in which these sorts of inequalities exist. The second reason I think the playing field isn't level is that research has shown us that there are key structural barriers that women face in setting up businesses. A lack of female role models is one really, really difficult structural problem. A lack of access to relevant networks is another. I don't know whether um, it translates across the world, but in Britain, we have a real problem with the old boys network of men who have often been to a very small number of schools who tend to dominate things at the top. Um, and the third structural problem is a lack of mentors and sponsors that young women can really relate to. Um, and that's that second reason is, is partly why um, in the Girls' Day School Trust, we've developed a, a program called LEAD, Leadership and Enterprise Advanced Diploma, which brackets those three key things. And it's it's the intersection of enterprise, leadership and a female perspective that I think is so is so powerful. And that leads me on to the third reason I think that it's so important for girls. And that is their behaviours, the behaviours that typically affect particularly high achieving girls. Um, now, I don't I'm not suggesting for a moment that girls are born to fear failure. The problem is um, it's that it's a it's a societal thing. We know in our schools and across schools like ours that high achieving girls and young women have a real problem with perfectionism and a fear of failure, have problems with risk aversion. And it, it was encapsulated in something that Billie Jean King said at a um, an NCGS conference a couple of years ago. Girls are taught to be perfect and boys are taught to be brave. And that is something that programs around enterprise and entrepreneurial skills can really begin to address. I really love the idea that you're bracketing uh, some of these challenges together uh, and integrating them. I'm intrigued, though, as you talk about girls are taught to be perfect and boys are taught to be brave, which I love. Thank you, Billie Jean King. Um, I'm now wondering why it is then that perhaps uh, girls schools might be able to accomplish more uh, with such a curriculum thrust. Um, what's different about teaching in a girls school uh, that might make this um, more possible for for girls school educators? I'd like to sort of preface um, my answer this I will answer you in the end but I want, <laughs> I want to raise a, a sort of um, a qualification to this and that is I'm not suggesting for a moment that girls and young women can't thrive and can't develop these skills can't be taught and can't learn them in co-ed settings my 
point really is that it, it's just far easier to do it in a single sex setting because the setting itself can be dedicated to the needs of girls and young women in what is a very unequal situation when obstacles are not addressed. A good example, again, start with a, a little kind of vignette. Some research in the States um, a few years ago found that girls are more likely to join extracurricular clubs and societies, but they're less likely to adopt leadership roles in those clubs and societies. Already there is a, 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 a selection effect, a self-selection effect sometimes. Um, a much more, a much smaller and more focused example, possibly. Um, I was reading a few days ago about a study of school sailing clubs. We're talking about you know, the privileged end of the spectrum in France and California. And in terms of looking at roles adopted on in sailing crews, guess which gender tended to dominate the role of skipper? And again, there's an element of self-selection that is it applies in small groups as well. We're all used to the to 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 in, in education to the concept that boys simply take up more space and time, teacher time and, and, and lesson space. They're simply they're more dominant. And the danger is that when you break up into small groups to do project work, that the boys will take on the lead roles. They'll be in charge of the mouse when there's the computer work to do or whatever or in an experiment. Typically, it's often the boy that takes the leadership, takes on the leadership role and the notes are taken by the partner. And those those things just feed through. Um, and assigning roles is quite an important issue when we're talking about project work, work in, in enterprise. Um, subject choice is an issue in, in co-ed settings as well. Again, I don't know how far it travels, but I'm pretty sure it's a, a problem that isn't just in um the United Kingdom, but we know that girls in co-ed settings are much less likely to take on science subjects, STEM subjects generally. Business studies um, are 60, 40 boys to girls in terms of the sort of 16 year old qualification for business studies in the UK. Choices are made very often by young people with full cognizance of what it looks like when they make those decisions. They're, they're, they're anticipating people's judgments, and that's an issue. The simple fact, if you sort of combine all of those observations together, and the research bears this out, is that girls are much more likely to take on leadership roles, to take on risks uh, in a single-sex setting. Now, I'll give you one final piece of kind of research evidence for that. In, um, an, in Essex University in the UK, they had students involved in business game simulations and each group were offered safe or risky choices and the riskier the choice the greater the, the, the possible greater uh, greater rewards at the end so they were looking at the dynamics of groups and whether risks were being taken and they found that when they allocated people to single sex groups that the all female groups began much less likely to take the risky choices but over time they developed much more adventurous behavior. They became much more uh, indistinguishable from the boys and the mixed groups. So it would suggest that, you know, we're not suggesting for a moment that there's something wrong with a girl or a young woman who doesn't want to be on constantly taking risks and on the edge of everything. The, the, the point is we don't want to hold people back from that position if they want to adopt it. We want to give them every possible chance to do that. Could I do a, a follow on to that? Because I'm curious, because I know that oftentimes we hear in girls schools that that's lovely, Kevin, but that's not the real world. You know, girls need to be able to take on risks in a co-ed setting. And so is it your premise then that they get braver about taking risks in an all girls setting and that 
translates? Is it the practice? What what is it that makes the difference there? It's I think it's the practice. It's it the research suggests that these are crucial years in which clearly development is taking place and the confidence is being built. The evidence that we have in the UK, um, and these were done from, the, from, for example, from surveys by Girl Guiding, which is a very large organisation, is that confidence built up by girls and, and young women in, in the early years and in, in, into high school is very easily eroded if the base of that confidence is lost you know, before college, before university. Um, and I am constantly struck by an observation by an ex-admissions uh, tutor at Princeton that even at university, even in its, at a, an Ivy League, an elite university, female undergraduates had real confidence issues and confidence could easily be eroded. And the two groups um, of, stu of female students that she felt were insulated from that um, were elite sports people and alums from single sex schools, from girls' schools. And you in the literature, you get talk of, I mean, it's kind of ironic at the moment, particularly, I guess, timely to talk about inoculation. Um, but we're, you know, we're talking about things that are done at school that help to inoculate um, females from the sorts of issues they're going to face. And you, I think your question is a really good one because we're constantly having to battle the sort of myth that girls' schools are there to protect and bubble wrap students from the real world. They're not. They're, they're, they're there to, to give them the tools to challenge, to disrupt um, and to question status, assignations and things. And so speaking of uh, preparing them and circling back around to entrepreneurial skills and bracketing that with leadership skills, can you give me some examples of the sorts of things that you see in your girls' schools that are doing precisely that, you know, putting leadership skills together with entrepreneurial skills? I'll give you a few just little examples and then try and sort of um, put together a picture of where I think this is leading. Um, in, in our schools, we run it for the older students, um, sort of the, sort of the sort of 16, 17, 18 year olds. We run in sort of, there are formal enterprise programs like young enterprise schemes that are quite common where groups of students identify a business opportunity and they go through the process of um, raising funds, um, of developing a business plan, assigning roles and so on. Um, I was struck by one example um, of a group of students who went into the hoodie business. Um, they needed to, it didn't really get traction. I mean, there are a lot of hoodies around um, and a limited number of hoodie wearers, I guess, but it wasn't getting traction. So they had a fundraising disco and the disco went so well that they thought, right, this is, this is where we should be going. So they moved into the event management business um, and running mu musical events. So it's just that ability to be, to come up with an idea, to be agile and just to keep working struck me. Um, but these are specific things. and. You know, ideas are just coming out. It's they're coming up with the ideas. Entrepreneurial education is increasingly being coupled with design thinking, and design thinking is really taking off in our schools now. Um, this this model where you get students to go through a cycle of empathising, ideating, prototyping, and keep going back, and it's a fantastic way of dealing with 
problems of perfectionism of not wanting to do to do anything until it's absolutely perfect just building in the idea that failure is the way that you'd re refine it's not failure at all it's not quite hitting the target it's a heuristic device that's of real value and it fits so well with enterprise um, in the way that it works i think so if you've got a group of students that is given the task of solving a real world problem and using it to engage in real change it gets them really fired up it gives them a structure um, these problems that they deal with are often called wicked problems because they are so complicated and it's the question is how you get into it in the first place so sorting out small you know, small iterative ways of addressing big problems is one that really catches the attention i think of students and it's a great focus on creativity and collaboration one example that I came across was a, a, a young a group of um, sort of elementary school age children who um, were given the job of designing a, a, a self-propelled vehicle. So it was looking at sustainable transport um, and starting with, you know, with limited amounts of raw, raw material, developing a self-propelled vehicle um, design as a group. But now this is wonderful. It's making me smile. It gets me all excited. I'm a big fan of design thinking. And if I'm a parent, I'm thinking, yes, Kevin, but math, English, history, uh, learning science, these are critical. How, how, how does this fit? How do you find the space uh, in, in the, a student's day for these things? This is the perennial problem of educational change. We, we, we're so reluctant to throw things away it just grows and grows and grows um and the perennial problem and enterprise education entrepreneurial education is just the latest challenge here the perennial problem is every time there's a new initiative it how do you avoid it just being bolted on to what's already there is exactly um the heart of the problem and it's related to the question about whether entrepreneurial skills should be taught in isolation. Now, there are some that probably would be better taught in isolation. So, I mean, a number of schools run mini MBA programs, for instance, there's business studies. There are, there are ways of identifying the sort of the technical skills that will be needed. And they can legitimately, I think, be hived off into separate disciplines. As long as we're clear that they're available to girls and young women in their programs, that's, that's fine. But those wider transferable skills, um, we start with the premise they to, to be successful they have to be embedded they have to be run as a thread through the mainstream curriculum and not least because we're talking about skills not content this isn't another load of stuff that needs to be taught it's a way of doing things so i would argue that entrepreneurial education is as much about how we learn as what we learn and the example i'd give is of a school that having identified entrepreneurial education as um, something that it wanted to develop because of the nature of the skills. They asked their, each of their academic departments to go away and map those skills, those competencies onto their schemes of work. And so they didn't have to cover everything, but there was a way of making sure that every aspect of entrepreneurial education was covered somewhere in a student's program. The example I give, I know it's an easy example because it's a, it is a, one of the more obvious ones, but in my own subject in geography, you know, I've seen examples of where you know, coastal erosion, pollution, sustainable tourism can be you know, taught as sets of notes or it can be taught as a problem um, or a part of a problem to be solved. And the entrepreneurial skills are involved in setting up 
projects that would promote particular aspects of a solution, identifying the solution, you know, empathizing, ideating, prototyping. And that I've seen that working in other subjects in maths, in English, where particular texts are involved. It's it's doable. It's difficult. But it's the only way of making sure that this really is sustainable rather than another yet another bolt on. It's about teaching entrepreneurial education. Enterprise as a frame of mind becomes standard in the curriculum. I like that phrase. Enterprise as a frame of mind becomes standard. I like that. And and I wonder, I, I, can, I might be able to guess because I hear your enthusiasm for this, but is there a specific time in a girl's educational journey that these sorts of skills or this mindset might begin to be embedded? I think looking at the way it's being done in schools at the moment, and I think one of the excitements about this is it's a developing picture. It's an, an area which is growing and there are lots and lots of things being tried out. And in the very spirit of the of, of, of the of, of what we're talking about, they won't all work. So it's, I, mean, I think a constant issue here for schools is making sure that these aren't just kind of marketing um, initiatives and just hype, that these are, you know, crucially, the impact is assessed. What's changing so what that children are doing enterprise what's happening as a result so age is important and i think it would be fair to say that if we're talking about the kind of technical aspects the formal aspects of setting up a business um, of running businesses that's probably we're talking about sort of older students at the, at the top end of high school but what i've noticed is that the teaching of entrepreneurial skills the running of of, of, of enterprise clubs um, challenges around innovation is it, it, taking place younger and younger. So I think really pretty much from, you know, I've seen evidence of it working from nine, 10 years onwards as explicit aspects of a program um, where people are thinking about a problem in a business sort of way, an enterprise sort of way. But I think design thinking has unlocked the the question that has unlocked the answer to the question of how early can you do this? Because I think I've seen examples of design thinking, um, technical challenges, the self-propelled car, for example. These are nine, ten-year-olds doing these things. So I think design thinking allows it to be pulled younger. And I think really that an, an enterprise mindset, if it can be part of the teaching and learning objectives uh, of a program, it can be part of any age program because it's a state of mind. It's a, it's about thinking that. The, you know, students are proactive. They're choosing topics. They're looking at solutions. They're exploring um, and identifying roles and so on. It's less and less about certain amounts of content, and certain amounts of intellectual challenge. It's more about how things are done. And that could be of any age. You keep using the phrase, and I love it, the enterprise mindset. Um, and I think both of us would agree that uh, parents are partners in this business. Um, we can't be doing things in isolation as schools and the power of having our parents as partners really exponentially improves the odds of us getting this right. Is there more that parents can be doing, particularly as I hear you say, this design thinking mindset could actually be implemented as early as nine, 10 years old? I think parents are a major part of this and the more they can link with the objectives of a school's program, using the same language, reinforcing the same sorts of behaviours, the better. And I think one of the, the lessons that COVID um, taught us is how important it is to bring parents on side with anything we're trying to do that's different. So constant connection with parents. Now, it's easier and it's it becomes really crucial to these sorts of initiatives. I think encouraging parents to 
subscribe to things that help them to avoid unconscious bias. The Billie Jean King quote, going back to get parents to think about what their expectations for their daughters are and are they different from those for their sons Um, or looking at other families. Challenging perfectionism, I think, probably is the crucial part of what parents can can do here to to encourage those behaviours that involve taking safe intellectual risks, that involve trying things out and not being judged too soon in that process. So I think the kind of design thinking mentality is something that schools could well do to reinforce parents, to give them more tools um, to help challenge those sorts of behaviours that many parents see in particularly, as I say, in high-achieving girls and young women. But I think the other thing there is that parents um, could be so useful as role models themselves coming into schools to help um, students, but particularly female role models. One of the things that our schools have really um, got on top of, I think, is using alums, particularly recent alums, who've started the process, who are not necessarily at the point where they are the most successful business people in the world, but they've started the process. They can reflect on it and they can go back and feed that back. So using parents and alums as a base, to um, as a resource to provide those role models, those mentors um, is a crucial part of the, the, the link as well, I think. I am really enjoying um, our conversation because it's so clear that you bring a lot of wisdom to this topic. It's so clear that what you say is backed by your own understanding and your own research on the topic. Um, and I'm wondering, um, as you think about this and I think about our conversation as we as we try and consolidate some of our learnings today, are there key takeaways for parents that parents should really, you know, walk away from this podcast hanging on to as they think about their daughters, as they think about engaging with their daughters' schools. Um, what are the kinds of things that you would want to make sure our parents heard, and maybe even maybe you've already said them, but you want to repeat them? I think it's there's a really straightforward takeaway, and that is that entrepreneurial education it's not just because it's in tune with careers, it's in tune with the world of work and preparation for work. In a girls' school, it offers a gender take on that very generic issue. And I think it provides one of the sets of tools with which we can set about breaking the curse of the good girl, which is something that um, our you know, single-set schools do a lot of thinking about. And I, I would sort of sum up what we're talking about really with by introducing the concept that was introduced by Whitney Johnson and Tara Moore in, 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 in their work that was in the, um, the, the Harvard Business Review blog that they did a few years ago. They started with the problem that the very behaviours that get girls top marks very often in school are holding them up in the workplace. They're holding them back in the workplace. The tendency to be compliant, the tendency to, be the, to, do, to do the policing job for teachers very often in co-ed schools, the things that very often teachers, parents and girls themselves take as being success at school is not necessarily what wins you the marks in so they'll get, to get onto a trajectory in an early career. And um, Johnson and Moore put forward five suggestions for how to disrupt that. And I think all of this. And this is about not boltons, isn't it? It's about being consistent and something underlying the whole program. All of these suggestions that they make are really quite radical and they are shot through with the sorts of skills that we've been talking about, about enterprise and leadership. They suggest that girls particularly, young women particularly, should figure out how to challenge authority. 
Now, that takes a lot of discussion with parents, I should imagine. But nevertheless, it's something that is crucial. They suggest that girls should prepare, but also learn to improvise. Absolutely crucial. It isn't about set piece performance and, and brilliance after a long, lot of practice. Thirdly, find effective forms of self-promotion. And that's something that I know from experience of getting um, students in schools to write applications for universities, to write their statements for universities. Typically, boys are much more prepared to say, well, I fit two thirds of the criteria I'm in. That sort of problem. Fourthly, welcome a less prescribed career path, business, enterprise, for, for girls and young women. And, and, and lastly, this goes back to the competence likability dilemma. Don't be afraid to go for being respected and not just liked. And I think those are crucial definitions of what modern girls' schools are and do. And enterprise education is the next iteration of that project, I think, to prepare girls and young women for a very different world. Kevin, thanks for joining us. Thank you. It's a pleasure. As I listen to Kevin and the wisdom that he has shared with us, I want to leave us with three key takeaways from this conversation. Number one is that entrepreneurial skills really come together in the enterprise mindset. This is less about content and far more about skills. And these skills can be taught to girls as early as their elementary years. The second point is that when we bracket entrepreneurial skills with topics such as leadership training, it gives our girls a unique situation in which they can actually apply what they have learned to attack real world problems and gain the confidence that comes from solving real world problems. And the third is that we, all of us as the adults in girls' lives, need to be focused on doing what we can to quote, break the curse of the good girl, end quote and really pay attention to the ways in which we can tackle perfectionism such that does not create negative consequences for them later in life. This has been the fourth episode of On Educating Girls. As always, we would love to hear from you with thoughts and suggestions to inform our conversations. After all, this is a conversation that's intended to meet your needs as you meet the needs of the girls in your lives. Please send comments or questions to podcast at girlschools.org. And join us next time as we provide resources you can put to use. Thanks for listening. It's important to the girls in your lives that you do.